And just as I've, as I've sat here, stood here, worshipped, just kind of watch it all mold together for this moment right here. We've been talking about the, the tabernacle plan and what we're calling praying through the tabernacle. And uh, I, I believe that, that tonight is, is that step, you know, if you will, everything else has just been leading up to right here. And then, of course, the next one is the Ark of the Covenant, the holy place, the holiest of holies. And, I mean, that's ultimately where we're wanting to get to. But sometimes you take a long runway before you can take off. And that's kind of how this is felt. And I want to invite you. You can be seated. We're uh, going to take our time. I do this more as in, in teaching than, than preaching. And I... I was telling our, our platform staff tonight that it's really an incredibly simple message. And that's dangerous because it either is going to be a real quick message that I preach because it's so simple or it's going to be a really long message I preach because it's so simple. I've just, I don't know, so we're going to see. But uh, I, I remember my wife and I have been privileged. We've God has, has allowed our ministry to develop and grow and uh, I got my call to preach when I was 15 years old. I could show you right there in the old church sanctuary in Quincy, Louisiana, where God called me to preach. And I preached a little bit here and there. Went to Gateway Bible College, now Urshan College. And uh, I began to minister through that, and that opened up doors and opportunities. And by the time I was in my senior year, I was evangelizing fairly full time. My job allowed me to be gone on Mondays, so that way I could leave. Friday after work or even Saturday, go preach, make it back. And then my wife and I, when we got, uh, after I graduated, about two months later, we got married and we stayed in St. Louis for a little bit, for about six months. And then we bought a trailer and that became our home for a couple years. And we enjoyed that. I got to see a lot of things as we traveled. I, I still have. It's, it's packed away pretty deep, but I've got a, 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 a folder with just things that I learned from places. Some some churches I went to, uh, Brother Perryman, I said, I want to do that when I pastor. There was other churches I said, I don't ever want to do that when I pastor. <laughs> we uh, we preached in one church that in the middle of church, and I guess it was a normal occasion in the middle of church, a dog would walk in, just walk all around the church while we were trying to sing, I'm trying to preach, and you know how ADD I am now? When I'm 22 years old, my ADD was a lot worse, and it's real hard to preach with a golden retriever walking back and forth. Nobody seemed to care, and I figured if it started meowing, that meant it got the Holy Ghost, and so uh, speaking another tongue, and uh, everything would be good. But I remember one time, my wife and I, we were, we were traveling with a pastor, and we had a long, that we were going to a sectional uh, rally, and it was a long drive, the, the, the sections were very spread out, and couple hour drive and I remember uh, the, the pastor he, he unsolicited he told me he said you know I want to tell you something Brother Buford God doesn't hear a sinner's prayer and he began to just preach to me about how God doesn't hear a sinner's prayer and you can pray all you want to but in, you know you have to repent and you have to be baptized before God hears a sinner's prayer man hair on back of my stood up and I got so aggravated but I can't, you know, he's a lot older than I am I wasn't going to, plus he was the one that I hope would give me a paycheck by the time I got done preaching so I didn't want to make him too mad but something in that didn't seem to fit just right and, and instantly I began to think and I, well what about blind Bartimaeus who cried out to Jesus, Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me and Jesus stopped everything he was doing just for 
that blind Bartimaeus, that sinner. And God did more than just open his blinded eyes. There was something else that took place. There was a salvation, if you will, that happened. And, and I, I begin to, to realize that, that God absolutely hears a sinner's prayer. That you can be in the lowest, darkest pit of despondency and despair and in your, your, your pig pen of the prodigal son, in your pig pen, you can cry out, Jesus, I need you, and I promise you he's right there. And I could preach a long time about that. But as I grow, and I don't, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not, that pastor, there was some great theology that was missing and, and, and I've learned a lot since then. But, but I've also learned some things. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to me with a book, turn with me to the book of James. And, and at the risk of you saying, well, Pastor, you're, 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 you're talking doublespeak. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. I want to show you that there are some times that perhaps God doesn't or won't hear our prayer. James chapter 4 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you lust, if you will, and do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're an adulterous people. Do not, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, can, can I just help you out? This isn't talking to the sinner down the street. James was talking to those who had been saved. James was talking to those who had, had experienced salvation. And he says things like, you ask, and, and, and if you will, insert the word pray. You pray and you don't receive what you're praying for because you ask amiss. You ask it wrongly. I know there's Bible verse that says what, you know, you, you can ask him the desires of your heart and he'll give you that. I understand that. Ask, you know, ask him whatever you ask in his name, he'll give it to you. But you have to read a little bit deeper than that. You can't just wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, I want to win the lottery. And God says, well, you asked. I guess i got to let you win the lottery. You don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I really would like a Mercedes Benz in my driveway. Please, oh God, give me a Mercedes. And he goes, well, you twisted my arm. Let me give it to you. There are some prayers that are never going to be answered. Mainly because they're the wrong prayers. But as you begin to peruse through the Bible, you also see, in fact, as I have read through the prophets, and you, you realize that the prophets were dealing with a, a, a children of Israel that were leaving the love of God, and they were becoming an adulterous generation. They were, they were, they, they were leaving the commandments of God. There were times, and you can read it in the, in the, in the minor and major prophets, and I, I'm kind of quoting loosely, giving you Buford's rendition, but God says, I'm not going to even listen to you. I don't care how many sacrifices you sacrifice. I don't care how many times you, you do everything you think is right. I'm not going to listen because your sin is too loud. And so it makes me think, is there a right way to approach God? We're blessed, and I'm so thankful for the, 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 the veil of the tabernacle that was split at Calvary. I'm thankful that I can come boldly before the throne. I'm thankful that I can cast my cares on Him. But perhaps in that freedom, 
we have gotten too comfortable. And, and we have lost the proper approach to God's presence. So it is that over the course of the last few months, not necessarily every week, there's been a few weeks that we have, for, for various reasons, not continued the, the study, but I have led you and I am leading myself down a path called praying through the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, it was God that says because of your sin and because of this great gulf that spans between God and man, I've got to give you a path so that you can come to the presence of God. And so he said, and you can read it there. In fact, if you want to kind of go ahead and get ready, why don't you turn to the book of Exodus uh, around chapter 30. We'll, we'll, we'll start there if you will. But God began to lay out to Moses a tabernacle plan. Again, just because it's been a, a few weeks since I've been able to, to get back and talk about it, the tabernacle was first a, a, a court. It, was a, it had these, these linen, uh, uh, this linen row of fabric that stretched out and it surrounded it like a fence. It was 50 feet wide. It was 100 feet long. And I've told you several times, this church, kind of from front to back that you see right here, is right at 100 foot long. So this is about how long the, the, that, that courtyard, that, that fenced-in area was. This church is approximately, I can't remember if it's 32 or 34 foot wide, but it was 50 foot wide. So add another you know, 15 foot or so uh, that way. And that's about how big the tabernacle uh, courtyard was. You can imagine there would be this, this linen fence around it. There was a gate and you could enter into it. When you entered in, the first thing you saw was a bronze altar. The next thing that you would get to, because, well, well first off, inside that, that fenced-in area, there was the actual tent, the actual tabernacle. It was 15 feet wide, 45 feet long. And so, before you could get into that tent, you had, to, you had to pass by this bronze altar. It was a bloody place. It was an ugly place. Maybe even a smelly place. There were dead animals that were killed. Blood was spilled. Blood was poured. Blood was splattered. And, and then from there, you would go to a, a bronze laver. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it in my mind, and I'm, please, I'm not trying to, to, to be uh, 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 cute or funny. I'm just trying to give you a word picture. Imagine a gigantic bronze bird bath or fountain. Okay, that's what you got to think about. It was a, 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 a laver of it held water, and that it was polished. You could see your reflection in it, and it's where the priest would wash after the messiness of killing the sacrifice on that, on that altar. It was only after you had sacrificed, it was only after some things had died, it was only after a cleansing that you were able to open up the flap of that tent and walk into what they called the holy place. It was the first 30 foot of that tabernacle. The first thing that you would have noticed was it was dark. You had to blink your eyes a little bit and adjust them because on one side there was a golden candlestick that provided the only light. On the other side there was a table of showbread. Both of those were, were made, or, or, or rather the table of showbread was made of wood covered in beaten gold. The lampstand was solid gold. It weighed about 75 pounds. It had seven branches that kind of that came out of it or seven different lamps on it. There was oil in the lamp. It lit it. The bread was for the priest to consume their daily bread, if you will. And so we've taken a lot of time over the last few months to say that there is 
a, a linear progression to get to the ultimate place was behind the veil, that back 15 by 15 room of that tabernacle. Behind that room, behind that veil, or in that room, behind that veil was an Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant was where on top of it there was a, a mercy seat. It was a golden platform with two angelic beings whose, whose wings touched. And it was that place that God ceremonial, ceremoniously dwelled. And it was the desire of every priest to make it behind the veil so that he could say, I was in the presence of God. There were a lot of rules, there were a lot of regulations The Old Testament is full of ceremony and, 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 and different things God was trying to drive home a point You don't just walk into the presence of God any old way If the priest would have walked in, bypassed everything else And walked into the, the holiest of holies And just casually entered in and said, God, I'm here God would have said, no, you're not And they'd have fallen over dead there, there, if he would have said, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice at the altar. God loves sacrifices. I'll sacrifice at the altar. And then he sacrificed and walked in and said, well, I did my sacrifice. I'll walk in the holiest of holies. God would have stopped him, killed him. But God would have said, no, you didn't cleanse yourself after that sacrifice. You didn't stop for a moment at the bread and the, and the, and the, uh, the, 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 the light, the, the candlestick. And so we begin to see how important it is that if you're praying a five-minute prayer or you're praying a five-hour prayer, there is a way that we can get into the presence of God. The beauty of the tabernacle plan is that Jesus, in the body of Jesus Christ, and the death of Jesus Christ, he has fulfilled every one of those things. He is the sacrifice. His blood is what cleanses us. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. A little bit later on, he is the spirit, which is a little bit what that incense represents. And he is the presence of God. And I'm thankful that he, in the body of his death, he accomplished all of that. I, I've already preached it. I don't have time, but my goodness, please, go read Hebrews. Jesus is better than anything else. He's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's, a, he, he, he's God. But in that, he also desires that we travel that same path that he traveled. And so, again, I know I'm going back over it, but I think we've got to make sure we're all on the same page in case you missed one of these. you got to be on the same page that the very first thing you and I ought to always do when we pray is stop at that altar and say, Lord, is there any flesh in this man? Is there any flesh in you that needs to die? I don't want Brandon to be walking around because Brandon gets Brandon in a lot of trouble. The mind that exists between these two ears thinks a lot of bad thoughts. These hands and feet have walked a lot of places they shouldn't have gone. And so, Lord, it's not enough that once when I was eight years old, I knelt down at an altar and repented of my sins and God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I can't go back and say, well, eight years, you know, when I was eight years ago, 31 years ago, it was okay. No, even today, I had to spend some time and say, Lord, I need you to let me lay some things on this altar of sacrifice. 
Not my will, but thine be done. Not my dreams, but thy dreams. Not my ambitions, but thy ambitions. Lord, if there's anything in me that needs to walk through the fire, would you do it? Lord, I need you to let me lay on this altar for a moment. Cleanse me, wash me, purge me. Fire has always been a purging agent. Fire is what is used to purify the gold and the silver. Fire is what burns away the, the stuff that is wrong. Lord, I am a living sacrifice, Romans said. Then I walk through there and I stop at that gold or that bronze laver. Because even the, the death is messy and we, we, we talked about that bronze laver being made of the mirrors of the women. It was They would take a, a piece of bronze and you know form it and mold it, and then they would polish it as best they could until it, it would shine, and they could see their reflection, even if it was kind of elementary, but they could see their reflection. And there was something about standing over that bronze laver, and you said, Lord, cleanse me, because as long as I keep seeing me, it's not enough. Lord, I want to see you. When Zane and Zoe and Zeke see them, see me, I, I don't want them to necessarily see their dad. I want them to see Christ in me. When I stand in front of my congregation, I don't want you to see Brandon Buford. I want you to see Christ in me. Lord, cleanse me, wash me, purge me, make me bright as snow, white as snow. Make me, Lord, to be holy and clean. And you take that time. All of that takes place outside. There's honestly, there's not much spiritualness in there. There's not much, you know, goosebump experience there. And we kind of tend to want the goosebumps when we pray. But you're never going to get the move of God if you don't do some moving yourself. All of that is in the natural, the natural light. If it was raining, you got wet on the sacrifice. If it was snowing, then you got snow on you while you cleanse yourself in the laver. If the sun was beating down hot, it was hot. And so that's the natural. And in your prayer, there are some natural steps you've got to do. Then, once you had done those two things, you were able to walk into the holy place. That, that, that flap would put, peel back and you would walk in, let your eyes get adjusted and there is the table of showbread and we have preached and I have been preaching even not when I'm preaching about the tabernacle that the word of God, that word is so important. I need that daily bread in my life. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path and I need the word of God and if you think you're going to ever get anything of God without going through his word, you've got another thing coming. Why would God want to give you all the blessing if you don't take the time to read his word? And so he says, make sure you, that daily bread, the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And then the golden candlestick over here, the light, and that candlestick had no measurements. It just said make it 75 pounds, but they could have made it as big as they possibly could have hammered out 75 pounds. There was no limit to the light and that light, that spirit that illuminates. And so it's not enough to read the word. We preach it today. You've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. I want the word of God, but I also want his spirit to lead me through his word. There's one place that we haven't talked about that I want to talk to you today. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Exodus chapter 25, and or, or Exodus chapter 30 rather. And, and we're going to uh, look there at the very beginning of that. And you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. 
Make it out of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length. A cubit shall be its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. That means that that altar was 18 inches square at the top. Not very big. It was, it was 36 inches tall. The horn shall be one piece with it. You'll overlay it with pure gold. It's top and around its side and its horns. And you'll make a molding of gold around it. Make two golden rings for it under its moldings. On two opposite sides of it shall you make them. They'll be holders of the poles with, to, with which you carry it. You'll make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you'll put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you, and Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he'll burn it. And when Aaron sets the lamps at twilight, he shall burn an irregular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall, not author, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burn offering or a grain offering. You'll never pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Shall he make atonement for it once in a year throughout your generations? It must be holy to the Lord. If you turn to the end of that chapter uh, uh, around, let's say, verse 34, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices. And I'm reading the English Standard Version. I have still have no idea how to pronounce these words. So there you go. But it looks like take. I, it looks like it says take Stacy. I don't know that that means you, Sister Stacy. But that's about how I figure it out. But take take that other thing and take that other one. Those sweet spices with pure frankincense. I know that one. Of which thou shalt be an equal part. Make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small. Put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. And if anyone makes any like it to use as perfume, they'll be cut off from the people. What I'm trying to get at is there was something special about this. The bread, you could eat that bread. Even though it had a spiritual representation, it was consumed by humanity. That bread was there. That light illuminated, you were able to use that light. You go out there to, the, to that bronze altar and you look through uh, the, the understanding of how they would sacrifice. Yeah, there was a lot of sacrificing to the Lord, but it also cooked a lot of food for the priest. They were able to take some of that for their own consumption. But as you draw deeper into the presence of God, what you get out of it begins to fade, and it becomes for Him and He alone. Said this incense would be one of the most beautiful things they had ever smelt, one of the most fragrant things they had ever smelt. And if anybody ever dared take that incense and use it for themselves, they would die. In fact, there's a, a place in the Bible uh, a, a little bit later on where in 2 Chronicles, King Azariah, also known as, as uh, Uzziah, he tried to enter into the holy place and he, he tried to burn that incense offering on his own behalf. In fact, the priest told him no and he pushed him out of the way and he, he was trying to, to, to show how awesome he was and God struck him with leprosy, made him unclean and he was never allowed to go into the temple, even in the outskirts of the temple ever again. But he, he used it wrongly, that, that altar of incense. This altar of incense has an incredible connection to the, the sacrifices of Israel. 
if a high priest had sinned, then there needed to be a sin offering. That high priest would have to kill the blood, you know, kill an, a, a, a bullock, and that blood of that offering would have been smeared on the horns of that incense altar in front of the veil, and the rest of it poured out at its base. If the whole community had sinned, if, if, if all of the children of Israel sinned, and they did that a lot, the same thing would happen. Blood applied to the horns and blood poured out there around the burnt offering altar. And even though, even these sin offerings, even as regular as they were, they were not sufficient to atone for the sins of all of Israel. And so once a year on that day of atonement, they would have to not only put the blood around that altar of incense, but they would have to allow that high priest to go behind the veil. And there he would put the blood on the mercy seat. And it was trying in vain to stay that, that cancer of sin as it would begin to, to, to wreck the society of the Israelites. There was something else that happened that you may not know, and you can read it in the book of Leviticus. If they went behind the veil... They took a little censer and they would put some incense from that altar out front. They would put it in there. And that priest would swirl that incense and he would walk through that, that, that cloud of incense and he would walk behind the veil. And, and I, I know it was a beautiful thing to be able to do that, but there was a lot of fear connected to that. In the Old Testament, the mercy and the grace is not seen as much as it is now. And you and I, we've been blessed. A lot of us, we've walked in, myself included, we've walked into church and we've lifted up hands that weren't holy and we've tried to worship Him with voices that were unclean and none of us have died yet. Uzzah touched an ark that was shaking on a cart and God took his life right then because he didn't approach it in the right manner. And so those priests, they would, have, they would have walked not quite as, as bouncy-stepped as you and I get to walk into church. But they would, they, would, they would swing that censer of incense and it represented a, 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 a presence of God. And they, they wanted, they desired that presence of God to go with them into the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now... That's a lot, of, a lot of, of ceremony, a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance, and it's pretty incredible, and I'm thankful uh, that we don't have to do all of that quite the same now. I'm thankful that Jesus has, has no longer been, uh, the, the temple, the tabernacle is no longer required for our worship. I'm glad we can come to a church or you can go to your, your home and you can worship Him. You can drive in your car and you can worship Him. But all I want to tell you tonight is that this is, I told you this is really simple, okay? You ready? To, here's what the incense represents. Are you ready? Read Revelation. The incense now is represented by the prayers of the saints. See, it's real simple, right? Just, just say we're dismissed, call the musicians, and we can go home. But it got me thinking. This is why I said I don't know that I'll be short when it's simple. As simple as the prayers that you and I pray is that incense. It makes me understand that there is a right way to pray. There's a right way to come into his presence. There's a right way. And I, I, I maybe, maybe I'm, I put myself into the picture too much. Maybe I try to see myself as Aaron or one of those high priests that's walking in there. 
But, but I can only imagine that, that they, they've worked hard to make sure they sacrificed the animal right. He's worked hard to make sure there's no blood or, or anything on him that from that sacrifice. He's made sure that there's 12 loaves of bread lined up on the, show, on the table of showbread. He's made sure that there's enough oil in the lamps that it won't burn out. But now he stands there and he knows that in just a moment I'm going to get the privilege to walk behind the veil. In just a moment I'm going to get to do what only one person once a year gets to do. I'm going to walk and open that veil and there I'll be in the presence of God, the holiest of holies. But i got to stop right here and i got to make sure that I understand who I'm about to meet. The word worship that, that, that's used, and there's a lot of different words that you can find, but that word worship, in fact, this morning as I read from John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That word worship in this instance is translated thus. It means to kiss the hand, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. Us red-blooded Americans don't like that. In, in the history of America, we proudly proclaim we don't bow to anyone. And while I'm thankful to be free from tyrannies of governments, I will tell you it has bled into my worship sometime that I like the dance and I like the shout and I like the clapping of my hands but when's the last time you came into the presence of God and you realize you're not coming into the presence of your buddy you're not coming into the presence of just your heavenly father you're not coming into the presence of just someone who wants to rub shoulders with you and give you a high five but you are coming into the presence of God almighty and if you have that will ever get to the place that the presence of God still shakes you a little bit, that the presence of God still arrests you in your steps a little bit, then I promise you your prayers will become effective when you realize you're not putting a quarter into some fortune telling machine and hoping it spits out the answer to your needs. But no, I'm not coming boldly to just any old throne. I could take you to the story of Esther. The story of Esther is a very interesting book because there's not a lot of God in the story of Esther. Much like the story of, of Ruth, there's not a lot of, of God or theology. But what I find is this, is, is Esther, she was chosen by the king. Of all the women in all of the kingdoms, he chose her. She could have, huh, I'm better than all you. I look better than all of you. I smell better than all of you. I dress better than all of you. He picked me. She could have barged her way in the temple and said, How you doing, honey? You chose me. Here I am. But instead, the one that he chose above all others said, I don't just approach the king when he's on his throne. Because at that point, he's not just my husband. He's the king of Persia. And you can read in the book of Esther, she had to make sure her clothes were just right. She made, she put on perfume she had never put on before. Just to make sure that, that when she saw the king, because she was going uninvited. And she said, I got to make sure, because the, the, the Persian tradition says this. Surrounding the, the, the throne were four soldiers on each side of the throne. They had a two-handed sword. 
and they had one job, Brother Grant, in their life. If anybody approaches the king, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to end at their feet, and they're going to be in two places. And she said, i got to get past them. And the Bible says that around the throne of God, there's some cherubs, there's some angels. In fact, you can read Bible verses that say they guard the glory of God. And you don't just come into the presence of God and just skip in and say, here I am. I've made it. I've arrived. No, no. There's something about it. And, 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 and while I'm not suggesting that our worship has to always be in a visual form, but what I'm preaching to you right now is you've stopped by the altar and you've repented. You've stopped by the labor and you've asked him to cleanse you. You've walked by the word of God and ingested that and took that word of God. You're allowing the light of the word, uh, the light of God to illuminate your path. But now you're about to get where God is able to hear your prayer. Did you realize that up until that altar of incense, there's really not a lot of the normal praying that we think about? Most of us, we flip the script. If you start praying, you immediately, this is how, and, and maybe I'm painting with a broad brush, but this is how most of us pray. All right, I'm going to pray. God, I need you right now. Just come down right now. Here's my needs. I've got a whole list of them. It's a Christmas list, a mile long, and it's kind of like the cartoons you see. They pull it out, and that list just keeps unrolling. God, do it. Fix it. Make it right, God. And I kind of think God's going, dude, you skipped a whole lot of steps. Could it be the reason our prayers are not being answered is because we neglected the altar, we neglected the laver, you have neglected the word of God, you haven't allowed God to illuminate anything else in your life, but suddenly you want him to answer your need right now. How many of you have seen that little, that little sign, it's usually around a customer service or something that says an emergency on your part, or a failure to plan on your part does not constitute emergency on my part. Anybody ever seen something like that? Just because you forgot to put oil in your car, you don't barge up to a, you, you know the, the car repair place and say, my engine blew up, I need you to fix it right now. And they say, well, when's the last time you changed the oil? Never. Well, then why don't you wait in line? There's a lot of other people that need. So it is that we stand in the presence of God and that worship begins to go forth and we bow in His presence. And long before I ask Him anything, I say as we have sung, in fact, that's why I said all of these songs have been so fitting. I bow in his presence and I begin to say, God, you're holy. God, you're mighty. You're not just anything. You're not just anyone, but you are the creator of this universe. You were the God that hung the stars in space. The God that, that, that just spoke and worlds became into existence. God, you are amazing. You are incredible. You are holy. You are awesome. The Bible makes a statement like this. It says we need to pray without ceasing. It does not mean that you've got to find a prayer room and pray from sun up to sundown and even while you sleep because none of that is possible. But there was this understanding that that in the morning he would dress the, the altar of incense. At night he would dress the altar of incense. And all day long that incense was going. Could it be that you and I have the ability to live a life that honors the presence and the holiness and the deity of God every waking moment, not just when we want something? 
have you ever had a preacher step on your toes because they got real close to the truth? Sometimes it's a prophetic word, Brother Perryman. I mean, they're walking. And sometimes it's because the preacher has been there, done that. You just don't know it. So you can decide whether I'm prophetic or whether I've been there, done that, and don't know it. But how about this? I can't pray yet because, you know, I, I've not been living right. And so i got to get everything right. i got to kind of, you know, butter God up so he'll answer my prayer. As opposed to the one that has praying without ceasing. That, that worship, that incense has been going. Remember, the, the incense is the prayers of the people. Here, let, maybe this will help you out. Turn, if you will, to the book of, of Psalms. Uh, I believe it's chapter uh, 141. And, and look at verse 2. Let me, let me begin to wrap this up. Th this is, da David blows my mind. Because David lived in the Old Testament. And David had a lot of sin in his life. And David didn't always do stuff right. And, and I don't know that David is what you would call a prophet or even a theologian. But the things that David said have such a prophetic ring to them. It, it, it sometimes just blows my mind. And David, living in the time of the tabernacle, because when David, David is the one that got everything ready to build the temple. So he's still in the thousand plus year old tent that Moses built. And this is what he said in Psalms chapter 141 and verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as an incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David realized that this tabernacle plan and the pomp and the circumstance attached to it was not always going to be, but there would be a moment in which it wasn't going to be this finely crafted perfume, but instead it would be you and I living a life that comes into his presence and we begin to lift our worship unto him and we begin to lift our hands unto him and it's the sweetest smell that the Lord has ever smelled. It's a fragrance. Read Revelation and you can see what I'm talking about, but the Lord stands at attention when the worship goes forth there are some things that get his attention not that you control him by any stretch for the hard pole but, but there is some things that kind of gets him you want to get brother Perryman and my attention go cook a pork steak You ever, you ever done that? You get, get a hint of a smell and you're, where is it? Where is it? I got to find it. Who's cooking ribs? <laughs> Who's frying fish? Everything about me is wrapped around food. Y'all know that. Could it be that God is drawn to those who worship God is drawn to those who properly walk the path. They, they've taken some time to, 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 to lay some things on the altar. They've taken some time to cleanse themselves. They've taken some time to go through the word of God. They've taken time to make sure that the light of his spirit is leading, guiding us into all truth. But we get to that place where we begin to worship him in spirit and in truth. And when you do... You get the attention of God. And God stands ready. You've got his attention. You've got everything ready. Here's what you need. What do you want? What's happening? And it's only then should you ever dare to step behind the veil and say, God, I need you. Too many of us step behind the veil and try to get in the presence of God and you've never identified him as holy 
powerful, righteous. And so it is that if you read the book of Hebrews 9, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, even chapter 12, talks about that as Christ, our high priest, took his own blood into the tabernacle, he applied it to the mercy seat. He cleansed his people forever, chapter 9, verse 11 of Hebrews. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that allows you and I to approach God without fear. I, I, didn't, I didn't have to, you know, go get a censer and put a bunch of incense in it and swing it around myself so that I could not have that fear of being in the presence of God. My friend, when I walked in this morning to church, when I walked in tonight at church, when I was at the youth retreat for a couple days or a night and a day with these young people and we were in the middle of, uh, 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 of the Ozarks and I felt the presence of God around a campfire, I'm glad that he bought me, put that cleansing upon me through the blood of Jesus Christ and I, I can now boldly approach the throne of God. But the writer of Hebrews sums it up this way. I believe it's Hebrews 12, 28. He says, therefore... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I'm here to tell you today that, yeah, maybe for some of you, I, don't, I really don't think anybody here too much, but there's some that will never get into the presence of God because they just never take time at the altar and say, Lord, i gotta, I got to lay some things down. There's others that have never allowed the cleansing of Jesus Christ in their life. And so it's kind of hard to walk into the presence of a holy God unholy, unclean. There's some that have neglected the table of showbread and they, don't, they haven't taken the word of God. They don't like the spirit of God leading them. I understand all that. But my goodness, if you're here on a Sunday night at the lighthouse, I, I'm pretty confident that those you've done. There's a hunger for the Word of God. There's a hunger for the Spirit of God to move in your life. There's a, there's a desire to leave the old man behind. There's a desire to be cleansed. But here's where, it, here's where it really starts to hit you and I. Quit just asking Him for stuff. And start worshiping Him. Uh, Brother Perryman, was it you and I that were talking about the sovereignty of God? Right there, talking about sovereignty of God? God doesn't have to do anything for you. God doesn't wake up and say, how may I bless Shane today? And yet we get all bent out of shape because somehow God, you know, God, we're, we're not God's number one priority, if you will. He's sovereign. Job said it this way. If he kills me, it's his choice. But I'm going to still love him. It, it blows my mind. All the other religions, and, and you can look through the history, all the other religions are dealing with a sovereign God and all humanity has to do is appease that sovereign God. The mythology of some religions is that volcano just exploded. God must be mad at me. What can I do so God won't be mad at me? And we have twisted that and said, well, this God, big G, the only God, the only one, and somehow we've decided that He only exists for you and me. Yes, I get to come boldly in His presence. But I've got to acknowledge whose presence I'm in. 
Yes, he loves me. Yes, his grace has been given to you and I. Yes, he inclined his hand to us. Yes, he picked me up out of a miry clay. Yes, he's touched my heart. Yes, he's forgiven me. Yes, he's blessed me. Yes, he cares for me. Yes, he loves me. But he's God. And I want to challenge you. Before you ever step behind that veil and you are lost in his presence. Before you're lost in his blessing. You better get lost in his worship. You've got to learn to let things fade. You've got to learn to walk past all of that and let that worship and that incense go to a God that's sovereign. That Lord, even if you don't answer, I'm going to still worship you. Because my worship is not predicated on his blessing. I don't say, well, God, you blessed me last week. I guess I'll worship you this week. Oh, no. I love you. I magnify you. I walk into your presence. Oh, God, I don't deserve it. I'm just a worm. I'm just a broken piece of humanity. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve the love and the grace, but I'm thankful you gave it to me. But, God, I, I worship you. I've read your word. I know you. I've seen the guiding of your spirit. You've led me and you've touched me and you've, I, my emotions have been moved by you. But oh, you're sovereign. And God, I want to worship you. No longer is it the, the fragrance of incense that was made by some perfume or apothecary. But Lord, it's my worship. And I want you to be pleased with my worship. So I want to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. And I want to bless the Lord. I want to bless the Lord. I want to bless the Lord. Would you stand with me tonight?